Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, now listen to me. Listen. So we stayed home. We listened to her over the radio. You were listening? Yeah, I still got one good ear. Now you listen to me. Listening for my Bradley J. Bradley J. I think he's talking to me right now. Well, what is he saying? Searching for something to say. Jay Talking, WBZ News Radio 1030. You are Jay Talking. We're live midnight to five. Our guest is Stefan M. Waltz, and the book is The Hell of Good Intentions. At the end of the Cold War, we had an opportunity to reduce our global responsibilities, but we chose instead to spread democracy, which comes with considerable opportunity cost. They're good intentions, but uh, causes a, raises a bit of hell when you do that. Can you take, Stefan, my introduction and expand on that and give us a more clear picture of what you're doing with the book? Uh, well, sure. The, uh, the question that really drives it is the one you alluded to. It's essentially what went wrong in the sense that we were extraordinarily optimistic. Uh, when the Cold War ended, when the 1990s began, we thought the wind was at our back. Uh, relations with most of the great powers, including Russia, were good. Democracy was spreading. Markets were expanding. Uh, if you remember back then, uh, Iraq was being disarmed. Iran had no nuclear enrichment capability. Uh, the Oslo peace process had begun, so we all thought peace would come to the Middle East as well. And now if we think about the world of 2018, uh, the world we're in today, our relationship with Russia is worse than at any time since the Cold War. Democracy is in retreat in many parts of the world now. Uh, a number of countries have uh, tested nuclear weapons. The two-state solution is further away than ever. And there's a general sense that American foreign policy hasn't done very well. And I haven't even mentioned, of course, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. So the book is, in a sense, an attempt to explain exactly what went wrong there. Um, and why, with the best of intentions, we've ended up making ourselves both poorer and less secure. Basically, we feel the need. The reason is, the answer is, we feel the need to spread democracy. And that's expensive in terms of blood and treasure. Why do we feel the need to do that? What is the perceived benefit? Well, I think partly there was the belief that if we did this, uh, of course, not, not only would that be morally desirable, but this would create an ever-expanding zone of peace, that by eliminating authoritarian governments, by creating democracies in various parts of the world, by expanding NATO eastward, essentially uh, without limit, we were going to create a world uh, that was uh, pretty much all like us, and it would eliminate any real possibility of, of conflict. Uh, and the problem, of course, was that doing that... Uh, not only generated conflicts with some very powerful countries, um, but it also uh, created not democracies in places like Afghanistan or uh, Iraq or Libya, but rather failed states uh, where the resistance to us grew steadily, uh, in some cases fueling terrorism both there and in other places as well, and poisoning our relationship with some other great powers like uh, Russia and China. So in our attempt to spread human rights we trammel on human rights 
by the way. Well, that's, that's an additional problem. That, and we got involved in so many uh, complicated conflicts, including some very difficult ones, as in Iraq, where we faced a really quite formidable insurgency, that gradually we begin to relax the very principles we live by. The United States begins to uh, rely on torture in the war on terror. The United States relies on drone strikes and targeted killings of suspected terrorists, which unfortunately also ends up killing innocent people and therefore making the United States even less popular. So in an attempt to spread American values uh, in various parts of the world, we end up compromising them abroad and in some cases perhaps even here at home. Now the thought is, uh, well, there are a couple of choices. You can do nothing or you can act as a firefighter and put out fires here and there while not trying to change the actual value system of, of the nation. Or you can try to change the value system and the the um, the benefit of that, I guess, is if everyone shares the same values, you sort of don't have to deal. The idea is you, then you won't have to deal with the threat of nuclear war or, or terrorism. You kind of fix it and forget it instead of continuing to put out fires. But, I mean, it's a nice idea. doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, it doesn't work for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, as I suggested, uh, when we adopt a policy that we're basically going to try to change the local politics in every part of the world, we, if governments aren't more or less like ours, we're going to do what we can to, to turn them into democracies. Well, hopefully we'll do that peacefully, but if necessary, we might use force. Uh, the problem is that any non-democracy out there will view this as threatening. This is directly threatening to the government in China, the government in Russia, and we might think it's desirable, but they won't, and they're going to take steps to try and prevent us. Uh, secondly, in some of the places where we succeeded in getting rid of a dictator, we had no idea what to do with that society afterwards. Uh, democracy took a long time to take root in the West. Uh, we had our problems with it here in the United States. You may recall we fought a civil war over what American democracy was going to be like. And to believe that we could do this quickly in places that had never been democratic before, I think was essentially uh, delusional. Uh, finally, you know, we, as part of doing all of this, we took on burdens of protecting lots, lots of other countries as well. Every time we expanded NATO, we were taking on a formal treaty commitment to defend another country, um, and that encouraged some of these allies to free ride, or I would even argue to uh, essentially drive recklessly. Uh, they were so confident of American support, they would take steps that were careless or reckless and contrary to our interests. Uh, so for all of these reasons, this well-intended product of trying to create a more stable, liberal, democratic world actually backfired and failed more often than it succeeded. There is the term liberal democracy. That's, it's a phrase that's used in foreign policy. And the term liberal, can, liberal democracy can be misconstrued Correct. It's both both Republicans and Democrats, both sides of the aisle are guilty of this. That's exactly right. This is a bipartisan problem. And by liberal, I don't mean liberal as in left wing, but rather liberal in terms of the traditional sort of classical liberal values, democracy, human rights, rule of law, uh, free markets. And these are all very desirable qualities. You know, I'm personally glad to live in a country where those values are reasonably well established and institutionalized. But it turns out not to be a very good export commodity, trying to spread it to other countries, particularly countries that don't have some of the other prerequisites uh, for it, uh, it turns out to be very difficult to do. 
And we assumed it was going to be very easy. I think some of this was, you know, post-Cold War hubris, where we thought that the rest of the world couldn't wait to become more like the United States, couldn't wait to adopt sort of similar values and institutions. Uh, And that, of course, I think turned out to be overly optimistic. You talk about hubris, and I was just about to say, one form of American hubris is the idea that inside every Chinese person or inside every Vietnamese person is an American trying to get out, and that's just not true. Uh, That's right. Different societies have different histories, different cultures, different historical values. Uh, In some cases, uh, even when they uh, at some level would like to have more representative forms of government, as soon as you dismantle the existing order, you create both winners and losers. The losers are angry, resentful. They may take up arms uh, in resistance. You have bitter struggles for political power, as we've seen in places like Libya or Syria or uh, Iraq after we had removed uh, Saddam Hussein. So even if at some very general level people would like to have a a more open political system, that doesn't translate into a political system that actually works effectively and often can veer back towards authoritarianism. We're even seeing things like that happen in places that we thought had really turned the corner uh, to democracy, uh, such as Hungary, which is now moving in rather illiberal directions. It's not a strict dictatorship, but it's certainly not a a liberal democracy at this point. Uh, I think we're, again, learning that the system of government we have here um, is not easily replicable elsewhere. And in fact, you could even argue we're having enough trouble sort of maintaining an effective functional democracy here in the United States. Is there some benefit that uh, we haven't mentioned to having being everywhere all the time? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, there are benefits to being in certain places, and uh, neither the book nor I think that uh, isolationism would be a good idea, that the United States could uh, withdraw from the world and just, uh, you know, sort of pull up, the, pull up the drawbridge and not engage with the rest of the world. And that even involves uh, some military actions in certain places. But I think one of the things we've seen over the last 25 years is we've gotten badly overextended in places where the problems are simply not problems we know how to fix or have the tools to fix, and where American vital interests uh, really aren't engaged. So to be as uh, present everywhere around the world as we are now, I think, has cost the United States a considerable amount of money, and it creates opportunity costs that we often forget. Uh, When an American president is busy trying to figure out what to do in Afghanistan, what to do in Syria, what to do in other parts of Africa, that's time that American president can't spend thinking about what we should be doing about the opioid crisis or what we should be doing about uh, deteriorating infrastructure here in the United States. Uh, Foreign policy, you know, there's, there's... Seven days in a week, 24 hours in a day, the president and his closest advisor's time is very valuable. And I think in all three of the pre-Trump presidencies, Clinton, uh, Bush, and Obama, you found presidents spending an enormous amount of time worrying about uh, 
countries that really were not all that essential, but where the United States had gotten deeply, uh, deeply involved. So between the you know costs in lives, the costs in dollars, and the distractions uh, that sometimes this produces, it does impose real costs on Americans, even if we don't always feel them uh, all the time. Can you give us a sense of how dismally we have failed since the Cold War? How how badly this spreading of liberal democracy has gone for us? Well, you you just consider how how many failures, uh, sort of obvious failures, one can point to, and how relatively uh, few successes. Uh, so again, uh, you know, we did expand NATO. You might call that a success. We brought a number of countries into a successful alliance structure, but the consequence of that, of course, was to poison our relationship with Russia, which is still a, a major power and also a major nuclear power. And it eventually is one of the main reasons we now have a conflict in Ukraine, uh, which has further uh, poisoned that relationship, put uh, Europe under somewhat uh, greater risk, um, and made it harder to cooperate with Russia and, of course, driven Russia closer uh, to China. Uh, the second uh, problem, of course, we got attacked on September 11th, uh, which was obviously an evil act, but in some respects also a response to different policies the United States had undertaken uh, during the Clinton administration. Uh, in particular, the decision uh, known as dual containment, where the United States would keep troops in Saudi Arabia to contain both Iraq and Iran simultaneously. This was back in the 1990s, and that became one of the reasons Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden decided to come after the United States. He regarded this uh, as infidels on sacred uh, Islamic territory, and that's one of the reasons he attacked us uh, you know, on September 11th, which leads, of course, to the Iraq War, which cost you know, somewhere between 4 and $6 trillion, was a huge distraction. And just one final point. While all this is going on, of course, China is getting richer, getting more powerful, not fighting a lot of wars in a lot of places, and doing exactly what the United States did in the 19th century to become a great power, namely concentrate on building strength at home and stay out of trouble abroad. We've been following exactly the opposite recipe, which is why our position now is much worse than it was when the Cold War ended. You say Trump was elected in part due to past foreign policy mistakes and a, a sort of pushback against the idea of pushing liberal democracy. That's right. I think, you know, Trump in uh, the campaign uh, said at one point in a major speech on foreign policy that American foreign policy was a complete and total disaster. And you may recall that back in the campaign, he was actively opposed not just by uh, Democrats in the foreign policy business, but also by many senior Republican officials, former Republican uh, foreign policy experts, because he was not only uh, claiming our foreign policy had failed, but he was questioning many very familiar orthodox principles that had really been uh, widely accepted, sort of the consensus view, and he was very critical of that foreign policy elite. Now, I think it's become clear 
uh, now that he's president, uh, that he didn't have any good ideas for how to fix this. He didn't have a well-thought-out strategy, and in fact, I don't think he's improved things. I think he's actually made things substantially worse. But the point is, the critique he leveled at 2016 resonated with a lot of Americans who understood that things had not gone well in Iraq, not gone well in Afghanistan, that globalization had not brought the economic benefits that they thought it would, etc. And so when Trump was so critical of the establishment and so critical of Hillary, a lot of Americans nodded their heads and it helped persuade them to vote for him. You were hoping that uh, the Trump presidency would be a test of your theories, but it turns out that the president doesn't have the tools to execute them, so it's really not a good test, right? Well, actually, he is a test, because he came in saying he was going to shake everything up and change everything and fix all these problems. Um, And when you look at the actual substance of his uh, approach to foreign policy, it is not as different as people think. He has not made the kinds of changes he promised to make in the campaign. His style as president, of course, is radically different in many different ways. But the actual substance of his policies uh, is quite the same. You know, we're still in NATO. We still have a very hard-nosed confrontational policy towards Russia. If anything, he is more supportive of all the same allies in the Middle East, including some allies whose value I think is increasingly questionable. Um, He's done some uh, tough talk on trade, but the trade deals he comes up with are no really, not really different than the ones that were in place beforehand. Um, He sent more troops to Afghanistan, just as uh, Obama did. So in many different respects, although his style is different, the substance is really not that different from what uh, preceded him. We were Stephen M. Walt. book is The Hell of Good Intentions, America's Foreign Policy Elite and the Decline of U.S. Primacy. Now, just I guess these are um, just foreign policy questions. How does Korea fit into all this, the way the president is dealing with Korea? Well, he correctly understood that we had a serious issue uh, with North Korea. Uh, it's continually expanding a nuclear arsenal and the fact that it was beginning to develop long-range uh, missile capabilities. This is something, in fact, that President Obama told him uh, was going to be a major challenge for him. And to his credit, he you know, decided to focus on this. Unfortunately, I think in his handling of, of North Korea, he's given Kim Jong-un uh, something for nothing. Uh, you could argue that uh, that he, in fact, sort of got taken uh, by Kim Jong-un because, in fact, uh, he staged this reality show summit in Singapore uh, where they met, they talked. Uh, they claim, He claims, of course, they reached a big agreement, but the actual agreement was almost free of substance. The North Koreans actually didn't promise to do anything and certainly didn't promise to get rid of their nuclear capability, as the president claimed. So, He gave Kim something pretty important, namely a direct meeting with the U.S. president to be treated like an equal, a great propaganda victory for Kim, and Trump got nothing in response. And ever since that meeting, of course, we've now tried to get real commitments, and the North Koreans have stonewalled us. Um, I think he's correct to to understand that uh, military force is not an option in this particular case, and that diplomacy is the only way to go. I just wish that the diplomatic approach was being done in a more competent and professional way. Does the big money being made by the defense industry tend to fuel this uh, pushing of liberal democracy? I mean, they make money doing it. 
Um, well, I do think that uh, there is a general sense within the sort of foreign policy establishment that uh, to exaggerate uh, foreign dangers, to pretend that problems are really existential threats, to overstate the benefits to the United States of our being involved in lots of places uh, around the world. Um, so in that sense, yes, and uh, that the Pentagon and defense contractors do try to to fuel all of this. I don't believe the American military is, uh, you know, is wildly enthusiastic about fighting uh, open-ended wars in places like Afghanistan, but they do tend to portray a world that's brimming with dangers and where American leadership and American involvement always has to be part uh, of the solution. And that's really sort of the consensus view that unites most people in the foreign policy elite. And I, I think we've seen the results of that don't work out particularly well. And while the United States should not be an isolationist power, it will in the future have to be somewhat more selective in where it engages uh, how it commits its power, and what it tries to use its considerable power to accomplish. Thanks for being a great guest. We covered a lot of ground in a very short time. Uh, and uh, thank you for all the work you did in this book, The Hell of Good Intentions, Americans, America's Foreign Policy Elite and the Decline of U.S. Primacy. Uh, thank really you. great talking with you, Brad. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Stefan. Stefan M. Walt. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.